Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beechler at Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beechler on PeoriaLife.com. Good morning, Central Illinois. Welcome back to another another edition of the Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. I'm Greg McCoy. I'm here with Brett Beechler. How are you doing, Brett? Good morning, Greg. I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, well, today we're back to talk about some more good points about taking care of your car. And uh, I'm anxious to get into that. But before I do, I want to bring up something that uh, I ran across in the mail last week. I got one of those mailers from some car dealer in the area offering special financing for seven years, a car loan for seven years, 84 months. Is that incredible or what? That is incredible. <laughs> it's almost like a small house loan is what you're taking yeah. on a car. That's a depreciating piece of equipment. That's what amazes me about cars and how people get into those and how much in depreciation occurs. You know, I've gone over this number before and it's 60% of the value is lost in the first four years. My brand new cars. I pound that number day in and day out with people that come to me and say, Hey, I want to buy a brand new car. I said, well, you know, keep it a long time if you're going to do that because you're going to lose a tremendous amount of money. Don't buy it and sell it in three, four or five years because you will be upside down for a long time if you have that kind of philosophy. You never make money doing that, do you? No, absolutely not. But how long does the average person keep a car? If it's maybe six years and their car loan for seven years, what does that mean? It's not a good strategy for your, uh, you know, net worth at the end of, you know, end of your life, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, everybody's got their preferences and I don't try to get in the way of people's preferences of what kind of vehicle they want to drive, what kind of lifestyle they want to live. I just am in the business to teach people when they make these decisions and what kind of ripple effect it has over 30, 40, 50 years of time and how it can affect the outcome and, you know, you, the education your kids have and how well you retire and you know cars have a significant impact on that portion of our lives and the folks that keep the cars a long time and maintain them keep them 250,000 miles are the ones that generally on average are the ones that are better off later in life mm -hmm. and i know that one of your missions in life is to change people's thinking with respect to cars but also with respect to the whole picture of life and, and this is just an example of this that, that just really got me thinking when I got this advertisement. People tend to think of cars, when they buy a car, they look at their payment. What payment can I afford? And therefore, how big of a car can I have? And, and being from the real estate industry, people did the same thing with houses. Yes. <clears throat> Instead of standing back and saying, what do I have to buy? What, what kind of a house can I, can I buy that'll meet my needs, but still give me some margin to do other things? Instead, they would say, What's the max monthly payment I can afford, and that's the house I'm going to buy? Absolutely. And I, I look at cars that way, and I've, I've heard this plenty of times. I'm you know, middle-aged guy, been in the business 25-plus years, <laughs> right? Um, I, I've heard it all. I've heard all the justifications for the type of car they want, uh, what payment they're willing to take on. Most I shouldn't say this. That's anecdotal opinion. Many people live by what my car payment is going to be. They don't look at the long-term aspect of 
is this a three or five or seven year payment uh, you make on this car? I look at it as, and that's just my personal philosophy. I want to be finished paying off our house by X age period. I don't want to go beyond that. And if people were to look at, look at it that way with cars, I'm not trying to morph people into being like me, but if people were to look at it that way with cars to where they shorten their payments or pay cash for the vehicle, keep it for a long time, they can flip that car payment they're making into savings or some other um, budgetary item in their, in their life and be able to live a little bit more freely. Uh, so the seven years, it doesn't surprise me. I've got a friend of mine that's in the uh, boat business. He sells boats. And he said, Brett, you would be amazed at people that would they're fin- they would finance their boat. Now, this is a recreational device for 10 years just to be able to buy the boat. And I said to him, I said, did they realize how much interest they're paying? He said, usually not. But their focus is on getting that recreational device that they can use for four months of the year and paying on it for 10 years. It just doesn't make sense to me, but everybody's different. I'm not in the business to morph everybody into being like me. I'm just here to educate and let them decide. Well, again, your mission, I think, and I think I share this mission, is is to try to change people's thinking away from the consumer mentality of how much can I buy, how much can I buy, to how can I get out of debt long-term, how can I get out of debt and secure myself financially, Not, not get rich, but just be financially secure. And the car that you own and the payment that you have or don't have is a big part of that. It's a very significant part of your your budget item every month. Um, you know, if you get to that point where you don't have car payments, I always tell people ignore that. Just make payments to yourself. You know, allocate it into savings wherever you want to do that. And then when it comes time to stair step to the next vehicle, much like Dave Ramsey teaches, you know, you have money in the bank, you've got a car, you've got some equity in, you can turn around and sell it, use it toward the next car and upgrade to the next vehicle. So I just, my whole quest is for people not to be emotionally attached to their vehicles. And I know that is very counterintuitive in our society where advertising sells emotional um, clinging to vehicles. So I, I always encourage people, remember, it's a tool that gets you from point A to point B. Now, it's your job to help take care of the vehicle, which will kind of go into what we're going to speak on today and we've been speaking on for the last couple of weeks uh, but you do have a duty to help take care of your vehicle um, if you don't want to take care of your vehicle then you enlist a, a good shop to maintain most if not all of it um, but there are some items that the average consumer can keep monitor on to be able to prolong the life of their vehicle their investment right and we've so, been talking about those last couple of weeks and we're going to continue on that today. So let's get into that. Uh, one of the things that we kind of touched on last time, but I think you wanted to go into a little bit more detail, mm-hmm. was was changing the spare tire. Yes. Which is something that, for a lot of people, you go years. Yes. Maybe a whole life without ever having a flat tire. Yes. Most people will eventually have to do it. But yes. So it's one of those things that it's not something you practice on a regular basis. So it's easy to get out of practice. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Interestingly, I don't, I've never had to change a spare tire of my own. Really? It's always been for somebody else helping somebody else out. So the reason I put this in, in this segment is we talk about finances, things like that. What I find is there's a large portion of our population that doesn't know how to change their spare tire. Okay. So what happens is they get their checkbook out. They write a check to a tow company for typically 60 to $80 to come out and do a service call or, or you know, simply just tow the vehicle in. So there's 60 or 80 bucks. There's a couple tanks of fuel that that tow could have bought. So 
what I try to encourage people to do, especially parents with their kids, sit down in the driveway, teach them how to change a spare tire if it's a level driveway, driveway, of course. Show them where all the tools are. Learn it. You know, it's our brains are built off of muscle memory. And if you're not doing this stuff every day, you can lose the muscle memory of what it actually takes to change a spare tire. So what I'm encouraging folks to do is get the owner's manual out, do whatever it takes. You know, some of these minivans, for example, the spare tire is located underneath the belly of the vehicle. Okay, so it's many of them are situated in between the, the two front driver seats and the two middle passenger seats. So you actually have to take a crank and, and lower the spare tire down to the ground from the inside from the inside <clears throat> and then you you actually reach under the vehicle there's a hook or whatever you there different cars have different tools and you slide that spare tire out from underneath the van now everybody goes why would they do something like that because for example the minivan companies are in competition to increase the space inside these vehicles and in order to do that, they've got to put some of the things like a spare tire on the exterior. So an afterthought, maybe an afterthought, but I'm sure it's a design issue they go into and they go, well, where's the best place we can do it? Everybody now wants a trunk in their in the back portion of their van. So the spare tire, what originally was back there, is now gone. Uh, everybody wants stow-and-go storage below their feet in the middle captain's chairs. So they've got to move that spare tire even further forward. So that's where it ended up. That's what we demand. And the key is learn how to do that type of stuff. Um, you know, regular sedan cars, most spare tires are in the trunk, of course, down below all the mats and everything. So I also tell people don't have a large amount of items in your trunk for that reason. Because when you're pulled off to the side of the road and it's 10 degrees out. Or pouring down a, rain. Or pouring down rain and it's 40 degrees out and you've got a load of stuff in your trunk that is totally unnecessary. Unless you're traveling, of course. It is a mind drag to sit there and look at all those items and go, oh my goodness, I've got to take all this stuff out to get access to the spare. I think I'll just call a tow truck. I think I'll just call a tow <laughs> truck. So, the, you know, the other side of that aspect of having a large amount of items in your spare or in your trunk is you carry that weight around unnecessarily and it does affect your fuel mileage. Um, I don't know the numbers on it. I've done the research and I've got it in a, a different presentation than I do, but it does affect your fuel mileage. I think the numbers I saw were every 100 pounds, it's maybe a half percent of uh, fuel mileage or a full percent of fuel mileage, but every little bit adds up. And we're kind of blind to it right now with gas being, you know, 2 205 a gallon, but we'll, we'll see it again someday, 3 4 $5 a gallon. So um, the other aspect of the spare tire, make sure you are in a safe place if you're, especially on the interstate, we've talked about this before, pull off to the side, get out of the way, have a spotter, Make sure you're watching for people who are not paying attention or more importantly, who are text messaging um, in their vehicles because all it takes is, you know, one veering off to the side and you no longer are going to be present on this earth. So it is a little bit scary, especially when you're changing the driver's side uh, wheels of the vehicle on spare tires. So, um, and also get in a very level, steady place. You don't want the vehicle... Um, turned off to an angle or the right side vehicles off to an angle because that increases the probability that that car will literally roll off of the jack stand that you put it on. And that's not especially a safe position to be in. Um, the other aspect is you always untorque the wheel nuts before you hoist that vehicle off the ground. Um, you may know this. I know this. Um, many people may know this, but a lot of people I've seen them go to change spare tires and they hoist it. 
and they're sitting there trying to turn the wheel nuts with the, the wheel suspended in the air and it just doesn't work. So you untorque all the wheel nuts, um, make sure they're slightly loose, then you hoist the vehicle, then you undo the rest of the five or six or four wheel nuts, however many are on there. And then the reverse goes true when you put the spare tire back on the car, you tighten the wheel nuts as best you possibly can, then you lower the wheel down to the, the ground, then you retorque all the wheel nuts as best you possibly can. I've seen a lot of people drive away and not torque them right. Next thing you know, their spare tire flies off because literally, mm. and it's then your tow truck time. It's you're you're stuck. So I'm really adamant about that. The reason I'm adamant about that is because I see a large amount of people that come into our business that simply don't know how to change spare tire in their car. And it's, you know, honestly, it's not a good situation to be in. Maybe your tow truck might take a couple hours. You might be in a snowstorm. They might be back six, backed up six or eight hours. And you never really want to rely on, on, a, on a simple procedure like that. You never really want to rely on somebody else to help you out. Um, because our society is geared toward, oh, just call the tow company or call AAA. They'll fix it. Um, you, you do want to have some self-sufficiency when it comes to your vehicle. So. Speaking of safety in terms mm -hmm. of changing a tire, you mentioned, I think, in a previous um, show about having, if you have someone else in the vehicle with you, maybe having them go out acting as a flag person or something mm -hmm. to... Catch the, catch the attention of, of ongoing Correct. cars? Kind of twofold. It catches the attention of ongoing cars, letting them know that, hey, something's going on here. We're working on something. Um, and it also, if you if they see somebody veering off, they can yell and maybe get your attention a second or two before this car is veering off the road for you to potentially get out of the way. But um, I know it doesn't always work that way, but um, that person is twofold benefit in that situation. So. so do you recommend carrying a flare or a flag or anything like that? Do you? Um, I know of some of our customers that do that. I actually don't. Um, it's not a it's not a bad idea, not an unwise idea um, to have something like that. It's just another alert status uh, to to have when you're when you have a situation like that. And you mm -hmm. know, quite frankly, you don't see a lot of people when you're driving with with flat tires. I see an enormous amount of people when I drive with low tires. Um, and I wish there was a way, some way I could signal people do that. I see it you, every day. You mean they're driving down the highway? Yes. Yeah, with 10, 20 pounds low in their tire, and they, they either don't know or they know and they choose to ignore it and hope that it goes away, but it's never going to go away. Well, that safety aspect is a very, very significant thing. Rear-end collisions, I mean, the idea of somebody on a highway smashing into the rear end of the vehicle, that, that that's a very serious thing. My wife knows, is, is good friends with a family whose uh, kids died in, mm -hmm. perhaps you remember the... Uh, the 70s it was a ford pinto the guts mm -hmm. hit in the back and blew up in in flames and so forth i remember reading about it yeah the family lived in roanoke mm. illinois yeah not a good thing not a good thing well speaking of, of tires that are low what about uh tire inflation specs what can you so tell us about that tire inflation specs this is one of those misunderstood items that what happened our folks they come in they've got tires that are either overinflated, underinflated, and they say hey you know i put x amount of PSI in my tire, pounds per square inch. And I said, where'd you get that? And they said, off the side of the tire. I said, well, that's not the location you want to get your specifications from in terms of how much you inflate your tires. Most vehicles have a placard on the driver's door, um, the channel right there on the frame of the vehicle, not the actual driver's door, but the frame where the driver's door comes into contact and it will explain to you exactly how many pounds per square inch they want in their tires. So what the engineers of the vehicles do is they take the tires, they put them with the car, and they say, okay, 
where is the best aspect ratio of handling of the vehicle in terms of how much pressure in the tires. So the manufacturer rolls on these tires and they say, okay, our tires are built to go up to 44 pounds, which is what most tires say on the sidewall, usually 44 or 40 pounds. Do with it what you want, but don't go beyond 44 pounds. Most manufacturers are between 30 to 35 pounds. So what I try to encourage and educate folks to do is just pay attention to the placard on the car, not what's on the sidewall. It happens all the time. I see people do this. And what, quite frankly, what it does, it may help your fuel mileage ever so slightly, having more air in your tires, but it will make the ride a little more harsh. And we've had people come in our door that say, why is my car ride so rough? And those, some of those people don't even pay attention to the 44 and they'll put like 60 or 70 pounds in the 60 tire. 60 or 70 pounds. And, and literally I've seen this many, many times and they wonder why the car is riding so harshly. So you uh, deflate the tires, bring them back on, down to pressure and people are amazed at what that will do. Um, but you don't want to go beyond that, uh, the point that the manufacturer recommends to, for the ride. So you can go too high. You can go too high. What happens if you go too low? So you're, uh, run, you're running down the highway and mm-hmm. 20 pounds. 20 PSI or something. So what that does <laughs> is it actually increases the operating temperature of the tire, and then it prematurely wears them out. Plus, you'll, you won't handle as well. It'll be a, a, almost like a floating aspect you will feel in the car. It just will not handle properly. Um, most people should be able to detect that when they're low like that, if you have all four tires low. Um, some people can detect when you have one tire low, but most people are not able to do that based on the amount of low tires that I see driving around the city of Peoria. Um, so, uh, no, you don't want to keep them deflated below the specs uh, because you'll prematurely wear out the tires and you won't handle as well. Those, those are two main aspects of having deflated tires. What about gas mileage? You're, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, three. Uh, gas mileage will be affected negatively, too, having lower pressure in your tires. Um, it's you know I see people that run in the heavy snow up north that will deflate their tires and they'll they'll uh, perform a little bit better, but most, for the most part, we don't need to do that around here. Mm-hmm. Um, deflating tires. Now, what about cars that have front wheel drive? Okay. Um, or maybe it's not front wheel drive, but, uh, or maybe it's radial tires. I forget, but there, there's some condition where the, the tires can look like they're, the front tires can look like they're low because the engine is, is heavier, but in fact, they're not low. Is that, am I imagining that? No, you're, you're not imagining. Uh, they do appear to be lower in, in pressure, but what goes on with the manufacturers, the way cars used to be is the engine faced backwards. So the front of the engine would face the front of the car. And then out of the back of the engine, you'd have a transmission. So that transmission and engine weight displacement would go a little bit more toward the back of the vehicle than, than you wouldn't have that heavy weight distribution. So what they did with the engines to make them front wheel drive is they, they turned the engine 90 degrees. So it's transversely mounted. Mm-hmm. So you have the engine and the transmission weight both of those are riding on the front tires. So the front tires are going to appear like they're a little bit low on pressure on some vehicles, not necessarily all vehicles, but some vehicles. We get that. We used to get that often where people would come in and say, hey, my front tires are low, and we check them, and they're exactly where they're supposed to be. And we explain that, you know, the transverse engine, and here's what happens. Uh, but engineers of vehicles are getting a little bit smarter on that and lightening things up, and it's 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 gotten better. And different tire aspect ratios, I can't explain the science on this radio show, but... Um, but it, it has gotten better. So the, the key on all that is, is specifications on the door, door channel. Just follow those and you'll be fine. It's interesting that you say that. Um, I have a zero-turn uh, lawnmower, 
John Deere. And a couple years ago, after I got it, I'd had about a year, and I was going through the process of the tune-up for the, the, the new year, changing oil, and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things you do is check the inflation on the tires. And uh, I checked it, and it was like 8 or 9, 10 PSI. And I looked on the side of the tire, and it said 30, 35 pounds, something like that. So I was getting ready to really pump it up. Then I thought, eh, maybe I better check the owner's manual. <laughs> Good job, Greg. <laughs> sure enough, it said... 10 pounds, 10, 10 pounds. PSI, yes. which I don't understand really, but because it, it's just kind of squishy, mm-hmm. but that's what it says. So that's why I put it I, in. But I believe not being in the lawnmower industry, I believe uh, that has to do with um, impact on the grass that you're mowing and the grip that you obtain with lower pressure on the grass. So as a sidebar of our conversation here. <laughs> I just thought yeah, that was interesting. Check the owner's manual. They're very you, wise of you, Greg. You don't want to you don't want to go by what the tire says. Correct. You want to go by what the owner's manual says or Correct. the uh, what you call that the, the little the, thing in the, the door. The placard on the door channel, which most vehicles anymore are located in the driver's door as it should be because that's the door that most people are getting in and out of all, all right. day long. Okay. All right, another thing that comes up is wiper blades. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Uh, typically, wipers, you, you obtain about a year of performance out of wipers. Uh, the biggest enemy of wipers, believe it or not, is not rain or snow. It's sun. Hmm. Sun and rubber just plain do not get along. So if you have a car that spends a lot of time in the garage, you should get more than a year out of your wipers. But if you have a vehicle that spends a lot of time outside, sitting in the sun during the day, you know, you go to work and they're kind of getting baked is what is going on. Uh, you will end up enduring the wiper chatter, as we call it, when wipers actually move side to side when they go across your windshield. And what happens is when they come into the park position, they're in, in one angled position. And if the sun sits there and bakes them all day long, that will stay in that angled position and you'll hear a chatter one way and not hear a chatter the other way. So... That is a an indicator that your wipers are to the end of their life and ready to be replaced. Hmm. Um, the other idea on wipers is you can also take wipers and clean them with a very uh, soft clo- cotton cloth, wet, and a little bit of soft scrub. Hmm. And that will help get rid of some of the debris on wipers and improve the performance of wipers in some situations. I can't guarantee for all of them. But if you've got wipers that are not doing well, I'd try that aspect first. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps extend the life of wipers. Um, but the big key aspect is how much time they spend outside and in the sun. Mm-hmm. Big aspect. You know, that's just another item where it's so easy to put that off. Your wipers are not doing a good job, and you put it off, and you put it off. I don't want to spend the 30 bucks or whatever it is to, to get them changed, and you put it off. But what happens when you're driving down the road in a rainstorm, or a snowstorm or an ice storm, and your wipers are not doing their job. Right. Stre- streaky wipers are very frustrating for me. It's like noises in my car. They, I don't like them. I know they can be corrected. And, and why is it? Is there a rule, nature someplace, that when a wiper fails, it's always right at the level where yeah. my eyes are? You why like is that? that? Yeah, it's all designed is by that the designed factory. That way? Yeah, yeah, they design them that way. No, mm. I'm kidding. They don't do it that I, I'm not sure why they do it, but usually you'll, you'll see them on the ends, too, because you'll see wipers fray at the ends and that we may not notice them up there quite as much as they do you get that line that's right in the line of vision hmm. of yourself so hmm. anyway food for thought <laughs> well how about windows you know talk about the int well you're gonna talk about all the windows but mm-hmm. the inside of the windows seem to on my vehicles tend to build and i don't smoke you get a film but they get you get a film mm-hmm. and that's frustrating i i can't tell you the scientific reason why they get a film um i don't know if it's because of the interior i'm not the only one no, you're not the only Good. one, but I, I'm, a relief. 
I love clean windows because at night, uh, if your windows are not clean, I, I can't see as well. So uh, my wife laughs at me, but I'm a fanatic about keeping windows clean in the car. So what I do is I take uh, a good alcohol-based uh, Windex, um, not to give Windex a plug here, but I use Windex and I use newspapers. There's an old trick I used and learned about back in my college days. Um, I used to detail cars on the side and one of my friends was a detailer. And he said, man, use newspapers. And I said, newspapers? What are you talking about? He said, use newspapers. They don't streak like a cotton cloth will streak. Really? So anytime I wash vehicles, I always use old newspapers. Crumpled up or what? Crumpled up. Hmm. So I'll tear them in half and use them. And I use them for a couple windows and chuck one and I keep on rolling. I usually use about a section of newspaper every time I clean the windows on my car. Hmm. And it makes them amazingly clean. Wow. Inside and out. But I always wash the car first before I clean the windows. So just a little tidbit there. So just keep the car clean. It'll last longer. Use Windex. Now, I, I've always heard you use vinegar and water. You can. You can use vinegar and water. Um, I, I myself have not used that, but I typically, that spray bottle is a lot easier, a little simpler to use. <laughs> so uh, to me, it's a safety issue. Um, if you can't cl see clearly out of your windows at night, there's a chance you might not see a car in your your blind spot or coming up on your whatever the case may be or something might be caught in one of your you know hazy streaks in your window it just to me it's just not a as safe as you could possibly be when you're driving around at night mm -hmm. well especially when you get hit by the sun yes uh, because if you have the film i've noticed this you have the film on the inside of the windshield mm -hmm. and the sun hits it and you can't get rid of that film it's like it's yeah. like it's frosted up it's a slight distortion yeah slight distortion or a glare and it blinds you mm -hmm. yep so newspaper and windex are Whatever liquid you choose, whatever it does best. So. Newspaper. I'll try yeah. It. What happens if you don't get the newspaper? I don't know. That might be a tough one. You might have to go to your neighbor's house that still subscribes to the newspaper. Okay. The Wall Street Journal. Does that work? That that'll work too. Okay. That's a good. That's a good newspaper. Okay. Uh, what about cleaning the interior of the car? Is that important? Do you yes. I, I think it's important from a functional aspect and an aesthetic aspect. Uh, functionally, um, if you leave grit in your floor mats and your feet go into that grit it's almost like a piece of sandpaper that will wear a hole in the floor mat and guess what you get to do you get to replace a 50 60 70 dollar floor mat um or you do like i did and take it down to fred's shoe repair and have him patch his nice little patch in the bottom of the floor mat that's a good idea for a lot of people really yeah yeah he does that um but i think overall from an aesthetic standpoint when you have a car that's clean um, and you take a little bit of pride in what you have i'm not saying idolize the car i'm just saying take pride in what you have it increases the probability you're going to keep that car, reduce your operating expenses, you know, for you to be able to keep it a long period of time. But if people have dirty cars, the, the thought comes in their brain. I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. They have dirty cars. They have maintenance and repairs that are starting to add up on the vehicle. Guess what happens? I'm just going to trade the car. And the first thing I think when people say trade, I go, ooh, that's going to cost you about $1,500 or $2,000 to trade a vehicle because you're paying them a fee. To, for you to not go through the selling process on the car, okay? So if people keep their cars clean, they maintain them and keep the repairs up on them, you will know from a psychological standpoint that these folks are, there's an increased probability they're going to keep their car for a longer period of time. And they mm -hmm. won't have to go move off to another car and pay the licensing fee and the registration fee and you know, the upgrade fee to the next car. So I always encourage folks, just keep a clean car, clean windows, clean exterior, clean ex interior, um, and you can do a lot of this stuff yourself. You don't necessarily have to pay people mm -hmm. like we have a car wash and other people in town have car washes. You can do this stuff yourself. So good floor mats? 
Good floor mats. Uh, what about WeatherTech? Do you like WeatherTech? Oh yeah, they're great. They're great floor mats. Yeah, we got those for our new van, mm-hmm. and uh, we're very glad we did. Especially in the wintertime, mm-hmm. all the slop that we bring in and out. So, yep. But yeah, it's. I I just think it's important. I just think it's really important that people take care of vehicles and, you know, inside and out and keep them for a long period of time. Now on the outside, is it? Still a factor. Is salt still a factor with cars? I mean, you mentioned yeah, oh, the yeah. cars are getting better and better and better. Yes. But uh, is salt still a factor? Oh, absolutely. I've got guys who own shops down south, um, and I mean down south by, you know, uh, Mississippi and all those areas in Florida, and they, they chuckle at us. They chuckle at us and what we have to deal with on, when it comes to salt and its ability to infract upon the vehicle. You know, the undercarriage, the wheel wells, the parts that come off, the brake calipers that come off. It is a completely different ball game up here as opposed to down there. Cars just simply don't quite last as long in a, in a theoretical sense as they do down south um, because they, they don't salt their streets. Um, but interestingly enough, I know people up north in Wisconsin and, and Minnesota, their counties and townships don't salt either. They put sand out, and that actually is better for cars. But you, we won't have that around here because bottom line is, our drivers demand as clean of streets as we get in the summer. And in order for our city to provide that, they've got to oversalt. Mm-hmm. And that's an, an unfortunate factor, but it's not good long-term for the vehicles. Um, I, I'd, I could list a, a large amount of items on a car that it's not good for to have the salt, but it is what it is. That's where we live, and we have to deal with it. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Brett. And uh, we have reached the end of our time again today. So. Yes. I'd just like to remind everybody out there that you can submit uh, questions to the car guy anytime. He'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Anything having to do with cars, nothing about uh, relationships or finance or teenager problems, right? Yes, that's correct. Just uh, cars. That is <laughs> so correct. Send in your, your uh, questions. Go to purelife.com and then click on the car guy and you can submit your questions. So this has been the car guy on purelife.com with Brett Beachler and Greg McCoy. Have a great day. Purelife.com.